Turn in your copy of God's Word to Acts 27 this morning. That's where we're going to be. And I, I promised Blake that I would be short and concise this morning. I think he picked me for that. He said that I, I would be the best person for that. He said he probably, probably couldn't handle that this morning. So hopefully I can, hopefully I can make this work uh, in about 30 minutes or so. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Uh, Josh told me there's a Saints game on and that I better hurry up, like right before I came on here. So uh, anyway, so I'm probably going to be slow for him now, so whatever. <laughs> so we started the book of Acts in Jan- on January 21st, and we're in Acts 27 now. We've got one more chapter left next week, and then we'll be, fi- we'll be wrapping up Acts. And so uh, we've been able to see Paul's last journey where he's, uh, he's, he desired first to go to Jerusalem, and, and then he desired to go to Rome. So like he, he goes to Jerusalem to encourage the believers there to preach the gospel to those uh, who were Jews there and, and, and to those whose sole purpose was to persecute him, right? And so we see how it unfolds in the, ne- like in the next couple of weeks that we went through that. We saw how it unfolded that uh, because Paul was a Roman citizen, because he, he had Roman citizenship, there was this unique uh, appeal process that he had to go through. So he goes before all these leaders. He goes before the tribunal. He goes before Felix, and then Felix transitions into uh, Festus. Festus becomes uh, becomes the ruler there for a while too, and so he's able to give account to all of these of these major rulers and these these people uh, that are of high authority in the Roman. Uh, in the Roman guard, and he's able to give, to give his account of the gospel to all of these people. He's able to say, look, this is who I am, and this is, this is what's happening, and this is, uh, this is how Jesus Christ has affected me and has impacted my life. And so um, what we see is that when Paul fears that he's going to be brought back to Jerusalem, when he fears that uh, Festus is going to turn him over back to, the, back to Jerusalem, he knows that he's going to die if he goes back there. So he is forced, his hand is forced to appeal to Caesar. And so what we're going to see today is, uh, you know, once Herod Agrippa comes, and once King Herod Agrippa comes, that uh, like Blake talked about last week, and uh, Paul gets to share his testimony again. He gets to share about, about what Christ has, has done for him and about how Christ has changed him. When, he, when that happens, at, right after that happens, Herod says, look, I, I don't have any way of charging this guy. Like, there, there is nothing that this guy says that leads me to believe that he's done anything wrong. But because he has appealed to Caesar, because he's appealed to go to Caesar, he has to go to Rome. And so... Uh, not only do we know that, we know that from reading Paul's letters to the Romans that this is really what he desired to do also. Like, Paul wanted to go to Rome. His dream was to take the gospel to the farthest part of the known world, and, and hopefully on the way to stop in Rome. He had many Christian and Jewish uh, brothers that he needed to encourage there. He needed to encourage them in the faith, and he needed to be able to preach the gospel to those who were who were not believers in Rome. And so this, that's what we're going to see today as we go through chapter 27. This is his account of, of getting from Caesarea to Rome. And so we're going to see a lot, of, uh, a lot of seafaring stuff, a lot, of, uh, a lot of terminology for people who are sailors. And I, don't know, I didn't know a whole lot about that before I started this week. So, uh, so let's start in verse 1. It says, uh, And when it was decided... Oh, uh, by the way, we, we won't have scripture up on the screen today, so you'll have to follow along with me. I'll, I'll be going kind of quickly as we go uh, later on in, in the message, but right now, as we're going through chapter 27, uh, if you could just follow along with me, I'd really appreciate it. Uh, so verse 1, it says, and, it w- and when it was decided... 
that we should sail for Italy, they delivered Paul and some of the other prisoners to a centurion of the Augustan cohort named Julius. And so uh, this, is the, this is a first-hand account for Luke, right? We see that Luke says, we, so he's back on the scene again. Remember, he was, he was gone for a, for, a, for a period of time, and now he's back. Uh, so he's going to sail all the way on this journey with Paul. And so that's probably why we get some of the, some of the more details that we get, because Luke is journeying with Paul on this, on this journey. And so uh, let's go to verse 2, uh, verses 2 through 6. It says, "...and embarking in a ship of, a- of Adramidium, which was about to sail to the ports along the coast of Asia, we put to sea, accompanied by Aristarchus, a Macedonian from Thessalonica. The next day we put in at Sidon." And Julius treated Paul kindly and gave, and gave him leave to go to his friends and to be cared for. And putting out to sea, from there we sailed under the lee of Cyprus, because the winds were against us. And when we sailed across the open sea along the coast of Cilicia and Pamphylia, we came to Myra in Lycia. Then the centurion found a ship of, the Alex, uh, a ship of Alexandria sailing for Italy and put us on board. And so Paul gets a chance uh, to go get cared for by some of the Christians that are in Caesarea before he leaves, and then they go. They go on their journey, and so they, they're uh, giving him supplies and giving him things to be able to, to, be able to make it on this trip. And so they, they start on this smaller ship that kind of hits some of the coastline of the Mediterranean Sea. They, they're going to hit port. They're going to go port to port, basically, until they get to the, to the ship that's going to bring them across, actually, to Rome, which is like a bigger ship that's uh, making grain runs for... Uh, between Egypt and Rome. And so it's a, it's a massive grain ship that, they, that they're going to get on next. And so uh, verse 7, let's start in verse 7 again. It says, We sailed slowly for a number of days and arrived with difficulty off Nidus. And as the wind did not allow us to go farther, we sailed under the lee of Crete off Salmon. Coasting along it with difficulty, we came to a place called Fair Havens, near which was the city of Lycia. Since much time had passed and the voyage was now dangerous because, because even the fast was already over, Paul advised them, saying, Sirs, I perceive that the voyage will be with injury and much loss, not only of the cargo and the ship, but also of our lives. But the centurion paid, no more, attention to the, paid more attention to the pilot and to the owner of the ship than to what Paul said. And because the harbor was not suitable to spend the winter in, the majority decided to put out to sea from there on the chance that somehow they could reach Phoenix, a harbor of Crete facing both southwest and northwest, and spend the winter there. And so Paul gives them this first warning. He says, look, he tells them they're not going to lose the ship. You're not gonna, uh, the, he tells them that you know, they're not only going to lose the ship, they're not only going to lose all the stuff in it, but they're also going to lose their lives. Like Paul, uh, Paul has been on quite a few ships before, and he understands that, that in the wintertime, uh, that it's, it's a difficult place to be. It's a difficult place to be out on the water at that time. And so he says, look, if we, if we go to this place, we're going to lose our lives. We're, we're not going to make it through. But since the harbor was so bad, the harbor that they were, that they were staying in at the time, they decided they didn't want to spend the winter there, and they decided to go against Paul's better judgment and to keep moving. And so uh, that's not a good idea from what we're going to find out in just a few minutes. Uh, verse 13 says, Now when the south wind blew gently... Supposing that they had obtained their purpose, they weighed anchor and sailed across Crete, close to the shore. But soon a tempestuous wind called the Northeaster struck down from the land. And when the ship was caught and could not face the wind, we we gave way to it and were driven along, running under the lee of a small 
island called Cauda, we managed with difficulty to secure the ship's boat. After hoisting it up, they used supports to undergird the ship. Then, fearing that they would run aground on the citrus, uh, they lowered the gear, and thus were, they were driven along. Since we were violently storm-tossed, they began the next day to jettison the cargo. And on the third day, they threw the ship's tackle overboard with their own hands. When neither sun nor stars appeared for many days and no small tempest lay on us, all hope of our being saved was, la- was at last abandoned. And so things are going well at first. They're sailing right up the shore of Crete. They're coming, uh, they're coming to an area that they think is good, but then this huge storm, this uh, northeaster, comes off of the land, and it comes down on them and hits them pretty hard to the point where they, they wanted to lighten the ship up. So they, so they just throw out everything that's, that's unnecessary to survive, just basically to lighten the ship up so that they won't uh, crash. And so uh, if, if you're like me and, and you're kind of reading through this, uh, the first time I read through this, I kind of read through it more nonchalant, kind of, uh, you know, thinking that it wasn't as bad as it was. If you're, if you're like me, Luke's, Luke's telling us that all hope of being saved was completely lost. So, like, these guys are in a desperate situation, uh, a situation that, you know, they probably can't come back from. And, and Paul understands this, and all of the guys in the ship also understand this at the same time. And so all hope was basically completely lost within their ship. But then Paul speaks to them, right? And this is what we're going to spend most of our time on today, uh, this next passage right here, uh, starting at verse 21. It says, Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Wow. <laughs> I mean, really? Stand up in the middle of, of everybody and say, say the thing that everybody's thinking, right? So anyway, uh, you should, not, you should not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night there stood before me an angel of, God, of the God to whom I belong and whom I worship. And he said, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar. And behold, God has granted you all those who sail with you. So take heart, men. For I have faith in God that it will be exactly as I've been told. But we must run aground on some island. When the fourteenth night had come, as we were being driven across the Adriatic Sea about midnight, the sailors suspected that they were nearing land. So they took a sounding and found twenty fathoms. So they were approaching land. A little farther, they took a sounding again and found fifteen fathoms. And fearing that we might run on the rocks, they let down four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship and had lowered the ship's boat into the sea under pretense of laying out anchors from the bow, Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, unless those men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the ship's boat and let it go. As day was about to dawn, Paul urged them all to take some food, saying, today is the 14th day that you have continued in suspense and without food, having taken nothing Therefore, I urge you to take some food, for it will give you strength. For not a hair is to perish from, your head, from the head of any of you. And when he had said these things, he took bread, and giving thanks to God in the presence of all, he broke it and began to eat. Then they all were encouraged and ate some food themselves. We were in all 276 persons on the ship. And when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship, throwing out the wheat 
into the sea. So there's four things that we see here, right? Paul is going to rebuke them. He's going to encourage them. And then he's going to, uh, he's going to guide them. And then also we see Paul's leadership here as he carries on through this. So Paul rebukes them first. He's like, I told you we shouldn't have risked this. I told you before we left the port that we shouldn't have done this. You should have listened to me. It was a huge risk. Like Paul had lots of knowledge about sailing. And by the way, he had already been shipwrecked three times at this point in his life. So he's probably got a pretty good idea of, of what winds and what sea that you probably shouldn't face when you're trying to go out into the open water. And so I think Paul, at the same time he was saying this, was also reminding them of his credibility. Like, okay, I know you didn't listen to me on this, but I'm about to tell you something else, and you probably need to listen to me this time. So he's saying, he's saying I'm about to share something else with you. This is really important. Please listen. And so Paul then encourages them, right, immediately. He says, even though you didn't listen to me, even though we're out here in this storm, you can take heart. Because first, okay, let's, let's go back to Acts chapter 23 first. And, and we'll, see, uh, we'll see what's going on here. Acts chapter 23, verse 11. If you want to go back with me there. So uh, Paul is standing before the council in Jerusalem, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And Paul is defending his case. And he, he starts talking he starts talking about the resurrection of the dead, and it really stirs up this, this violent chaos, right? So Paul's in a pretty bad spot right there. So bad that the Roman tribune has to step in and, and protect Paul from being literally, it says they were afraid he was going to literally be torn apart. And so they have to step in and, and keep him from basically being torn piece by piece. And so then in chapter 23, verse 11, uh, it says, The following night the Lord stood by him and said, Take courage. For as you have testified to the facts about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. So this is the first time God's telling, God's telling Paul, hey, you're going to Rome. This is going to happen, and there's nothing that's going to stop you. And so then an angel of God comes to him and essentially says the same thing while they're on the ship. He says, you must stand before Caesar. The reason I'm preserving your life on the ship is because I'm not done with you yet. I'm not done with... with with the testimony that you're going to give. You're going to testify about the gospel to all of those in Rome and specifically to Caesar before you die. And so I'm not done with you, that, I'm not done with you yet. I'm not, you haven't completed your journey yet, and you're not going to die until that's over with. So because you have to go to Rome, also all these people on the ship are going to be saved also. So that's pretty nice for them. Uh, so then, so we see Paul's... Uh, you know, being gentle with them and being kind to them and showing them grace. But then also we see Paul's guidance. Uh, then after, so after he shares this with all, the, with all the men in the ship, some of the sailors are like, yeah, yeah, okay, cool. I'm going uh, to go over here and, uh, you know, try to put the anchors out really quickly. I'm going to get in the lifeboat and put the anchors out. And what Paul really knew was going on is he said they were trying to escape. These guys are trying to pretend like they're going to put the anchors out, and then as they, as they slip off into the lifeboat, they go to the land and get saved, and the rest of the people are just on the ship without a lifeboat. And so Paul says, look, he, he's, he's experienced in sailing. He knows what's about to happen. He says, look, I know what they're doing. I know what's happening, and these guys are going to die if they get out of this ship. So you need to keep them in the ship. And so it's amazing how when a, when a man was right about something, and then when he says that an angel of the Lord 
came and spoke to him that people usually begin to begin to listen a little bit. And so what they do next is they basically go and cut all the lifeboats. They cut ties to all the lifeboats to where all they have left is what's on that ship and they're they're ready to endure whatever they need to endure. And so then we see Paul's leadership. Paul says, look, Paul goes, goes to him next and he says, look, I, I know it's stressful. Like I know this is a very stressful situation. Paul, I, I can see him almost going... Uh, kind of maybe even almost calmly. Like, I know this is a stressful situation. You're probably sick, but you have been going for 14 days without food. Like, no, like you can't function on that. Like, you don't, you don't have the ability to function on that. So let me remind you again. Let me, let me give you another reminder that not a hair from your head is going to perish. You are not going to die on this ship. But please just trust me and eat some food. Like, you, you need to eat this food. You need it to be able to, to, be able to get off the ship and to be able to move, go to this island that we're going to go to uh, in a little bit. You need to be strengthened. And so Paul was able to provide this encouragement and this comfort through this really difficult situation. And, and at the same time, he was also able to point those who were in the ship with him, who were likely pagan prisoners, you know, people who were, who were not believers, people who, who didn't believe in Jesus, to the one true God as he gives thanks to him. Like he, he breaks bread in front of him. He says, look, let's eat, and I'm going to give thanks to God for this because he is the one that's providing. He is the one that's going to bring us through this, this storm and this situation. And so let's go on, verse 39, back to 27, back to Acts 27. Verse 39, uh, we're going to finish out the story here. It says, now when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. So the, so the bow, the front of the boat, hits, hits the reef, and then the, the waves keep coming in and crashing to where it basically destroys the ship. And so the soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest anyone should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out that plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or on pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to land. And so as we see, this, this plays out exactly the way that the angel of the Lord told Paul that it would play out. This, this comes exactly into his plan and into the way that he wants things to be done. It definitely wasn't easy. Like I, I was kind of, you know, I was kind of comparing these two. You know, you think about the account of, uh, of Jesus when, uh, when they're in the boat and, and Jesus is sleeping and then there, a storm comes up. Jesus actually calms the storm before, before that narrative is over with. So Jesus calms the storm and he allows them to be able to see his power in, in controlling the waves and in controlling the sea. But in this account, the storm never stops. Like God's grace to them doesn't look like stopping the storm. It looks like allowing them to be able to go through the storm. It, it looks like allowing them a way out, even though it's a really rough way out, it, it allows them to go out. And so the, this ends with the ship and everything in it being destroyed. This ends with total destruction besides the, the saving of their lives, pretty much. And so that's just an interesting thought. Uh, so when we, when we look at chapter 27 of Acts, like, what do we, what do we get to see from this, 
from this picture? What do we get to see from this, from this story? Why, why is Luke including this story in here? Well, I think, I think we should definitely stand in awe of God because of, of who he is. Like he can orchestrate things in such a way that makes an unlikely situation turn into a, into a fortunate situation for Paul. Like this is like 0% chance of coming out of this alive. And then Paul comes out of it. Like that, that's something that we should definitely think about. And that's something that, that we should enjoy from this story that we should, that we should see and we should praise God because of it. We should praise him because of his mercy uh, of the people on the ship with Paul. Like he wasn't obligated to save any of those people. He wasn't obligated to save Paul, but God had mercy on them. He allowed them to be able to persevere through the storm. He allowed them to be able to do that. Like we should, we should be encouraged that we, that we see Paul standing up in the midst of these trials and these hardships, that he's standing up in these, in these difficult times, and that he's providing this godly direction to those who needed it. Like, like he's, he's in the middle of a storm, and he's calm enough to be able to give orders and to give commands that are, that are useful and that are good. Like, God is empowering this man to speak boldly and to speak confidently in the face of adversity, like in the middle of adversity. And so we can see all of those things, and all those things are, are wonderful things to be able to see from the story. But in this amazing narrative, I, I just I pray that we don't miss the main point. And I, I think this is the main objective that, that's trying to come across. We can be encouraged by the fact that God is always and will always be faithful to all of his promises. That's, that's what we see here. God is faithful to his promises. In this specific case, God promised that Paul would be able to be delivered, that he would deliver the good news to the, of the gospel to Caesar and to Rome, and that no matter how terrible that storm could possibly get, that nothing would stop God's purpose from being accomplished. That's the, that's the main thing that we can see here. Just think about it. Just in this, in this narrative, Paul goes through the most difficult storm imaginable. He's not killed. He escapes being killed by the guards. The guards were trying to kill him as they were going off the ship. And the centurion says, wait, 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 no, 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 no. Just let them swim to the shore. And so he escapes being killed from the storm. He escapes being killed from the prisoner, uh, I mean, from the, uh, from the sailors that are on the ship. And then he's going to get, next week we'll see, he gets on the island of Malta. He goes, to, he goes to gather some firewood, and then he gets bit by a viper. And so he pulls the viper off of him, throws it in the fire, and nothing happens to him. You know at that point that it's God's purpose for him to go to Rome. And that's what's going to happen. And so I pray that this would be your main takeaway from this. And again, we can praise God for miraculously saving all those people, but this passage becomes dangerous when we start to use it to believe that God's going to deliver us through every circumstance that we have on this earth. Like, we haven't been promised this. Like, that's, that's not a promise that's been given to us. It's a promise that was given to Paul in this passage, but it's not a promise that's necessarily given to us. Our hope is not in a God who will deliver us from all the circumstances that we face on this earth. Our hope is not in that. Our hope is built on faith in the promises of God. These promises that have been made available only through the life, death, and the resurrection of Christ. Our, our, <laughs> it is completely through that hope that we have, through the hope that we have in Christ, that we can rejoice. We cannot rejoice that, that things may happen on this earth. We can't rejoice that we're going to succeed through everything that happens on this earth, but we can rejoice in the promises that God has for us. And faith in these promises, that God will do what he said he will do, is what allowed Paul to comfort those on the boat, to get them to safety. 
And it's what allows us to, to wage war on the things that are binding us, right? To wage war on fear and anxiety, on depression and lust and greed and hate and all of those other things that, that entangle us on a daily basis. This hope in the promise of God, this hope in the, things, in the things that he says in his word, that he promises in his word, that's what allows us to endure. That's what allows us to persevere. And so if you're a Christian, let me, let me just remind you really quickly of some of the promises that we have. I'm, I'm going to go pretty quickly because I know we're short on time. But John chapter 14, verse 26, it says, he sent us to help her. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit was sent to teach us all things and to help us to recall all the things that Jesus has said to us, to recall Scripture, to recall His Word. He sent us the Holy Spirit to live within us. If you're a believer today, the Holy Spirit lives within you. What an amazing thing. What an amazing promise. He also promises us that if anyone, in James chapter 1, verse 5, it says, If any one of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. God promises us that we, if we ask in faith without doubting, he will allow us to be able to grow in wisdom. I, I don't know about y'all, but that's an encouragement for me. Like, that's, that's an encouragement for me. Somebody that's dumb, that makes a lot of stupid decisions on a, on a daily basis, that, that does a lot of, of ridiculous things. <laughs> that's, it's amazing to me that God has promised us that if we, if we ask him without doubting, that he will, he will provide us wisdom, and he does that through his word. He does that through us reading and studying and, and being encouraged by his word. He promises that our salvation is and always will be secured in the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. John chapter 10, uh, verses 27 through 29. He says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. He promises that our salvation is not only good when we are saved for the first time, but that it will continue, that he will continue, continuously save us until the day that he comes back for us. That's a great promise. He promises to finish the good work that he started in us. Philippians 1, uh, verse 6. He says, And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. What an unbelievable promise. He's promised us an inheritance that, that's never going to fade, that's never going to rust. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in this last time. We have an inheritance in heaven. If you're a believer today, you have inheritance in heaven with God to be able to worship Jesus Christ forever. And last, he promises us, uh, these are just some of the promises that he has for us, but last, he promises us that if we are in him, nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing will be able to separate us from the love of Christ. This hit home really hard this week. I've been I've been watching a neighbor that lives across the street from me struggle with, with stage four pancreatic cancer for the last six months. This is a 45-year-old woman who's got six kids at home, four, four, who, are, four who live with them, two that have, uh, that have gone on. They're, they're a little bit older. Six kids, a husband that loves her, 
a husband that, that just cares for her dearly. I watched them uh, bury their mother yesterday. And, uh, you know, over the past six months, it's, it's been such an encouragement to be able to see Miss Latoya, to go outside and, and to talk to her, because I knew, I knew without a doubt that her hope was not in defeating cancer. Her hope was not in, in overcoming this trial or the struggle that she was in, this situation that, that caused her to, to lose lots of weight, to have issues with, with her body, to go through chemo where it's basically just deteriorating her whole body. Her hope was not in that. Her hope was not that that would work. Now, was she fighting? Absolutely. She fought every day to try to be with her kids and to love her kids and to, and to care for her husband and to, and to do whatever she could to, help, to fight this cancer. But at the end of the day, she understood. She knew that her hope was not placed in winning that battle, but that her hope was in the eternal life that she received in Jesus Christ. And man, it's been, it's been such a blessing to be able to see that to go to the funeral yesterday and to hear all these accounts of how faithful she's been, of how wonderful it's been to be around her and how much she encourages us to be able to look past our, our circumstance that we're in, to be able to look past the situation that, that's right in front of us and to be able to see that we are going to receive eternal glory. When she passed on from this earth yesterday, or when she, when she was buried yesterday, she was, she was given new life in Jesus Christ. She was given a hope that's beyond anything that we can imagine on this earth. And as, as we were just kind of going through the, the funeral ceremonies, I was talking to our husband a little bit yesterday. I just, I just kept thinking, I just kept going through Romans chapter 8. I just kept thinking about that for some reason. Uh, verse, starting in verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for, all, for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. I pray that if you're a believer in here today, that, that you would be encouraged by this. I pray that you would be able to, to endure the trials and the hardships that you're, that you're being faced with. I don't know, you may be facing some trials and hardships like that. You may be facing some things like that. I pray that you would be able to look forward to the promises that you have in God, to the, to the promises that he's given you, to where death it does not affect us, to where death is, is momentary and light, as Paul would say. 
as we sang Shout to the Lord a few minutes ago, which I think is really awesome that we're bringing that back. I think that's really cool. <laughs> as we sang Shout to the Lord, we said, nothing compares to the promise I have in you. Do we really believe that today? Is that our, is that our hope, the promise that we have in Jesus Christ? Does nothing on this earth, nothing that we could possibly face actually compare to that? I hope that you, be, I hope that you can be encouraged by who he is. And people who are in here today that may not be believers, I pray that you would place your faith in the God who brings people from death to life today. Would you truly believe that life in Christ is greater than anything that we could possibly settle for on this earth? Life in Jesus Christ, trusting in the, in the work that Christ has done by being, by being crucified on the cross for our sin, to take on our shame, to take on the, the things that we deserve, to take on the death that we deserve, and to give us life instead. I pray that you would trust in that today. I pray that you would trust in him this morning. Could you pray with me, please? Father, thank you. You are worthy of all of our praise. We thank you that we get to see you being actively, that, that we get to see Paul being actively obedient to you, and that we get to see you taking over, taking over the wind and the waves, taking over the storm, allowing, allowing these people to be able to, to persevere through this. God, when there was no hope of being saved, you saved them. And God, in the same way with us, when we had no hope. God, when we were strangers, when we were far away from you, you brought us near. God, for the believers in this room, we rejoice because you have brought us near to you. You have made us alive in Christ Jesus. God, I pray that we would rest in that hope, that we would rest in the hope that you are truly working all things together for good to those who love you and who are called according to your purpose, that no matter what suffering we're going through, no matter what circumstances are happening, that, God, you are, you are worthy of our praise because we have a hope that's beyond that. God, I pray for those specifically in this room who are suffering those who are going through difficult times, through trials. God, would you allow them to, to sustain, would you sustain them? Would you allow them to persevere? Would you allow them to be able to get through this? And God, most importantly, help them to, to worship you in the process. God, we're so thankful for all that you're doing. We're so thankful that in your great mercy, you've not only allowed us to be made alive, but you've, you've allowed us to be a part of your story. You've allowed us to communicate the gospel to those in our community, to those in India, Father, that don't know the gospel. You've allowed us to be able to share the the hope that we have in Jesus Christ so that we can rejoice in the hope that we have and so that others may see what we're doing, may see our good works, may see the things that we're doing and be able to glorify you because of it. 
Father, help us to, to encourage others, to care for those in our church that are suffering, and to love you more. God, we pray that we do this in everything that we do. Father, we love you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.